Well, uh, as you know, Pastor Steve's been taking us uh, through a series uh, through the New Testament book of John, and uh, it has been, uh, it's been a great series. I hope that you've been enjoying it as much as I have. And if you're a guest, if, if you're new to Brookside this morning, um, we want to especially welcome you, and, and uh, we're excited to have you join us as we uh, journey through this series together. In today's passage, what we're going to be looking at, we're going to see once again that Jesus is going to drive straight to the core. He's going to go straight to the crux of the matter on a very important topic. Uh, it's, this is a topic that really has relevance for all of us, not just kind of a few days of the week, but this one impacts our lives all the time in a very, very huge way. And so even before we begin, I just I would like for us just to go to the Lord and uh, just to seek Him in prayer and just say, Lord, would you awaken our hearts this morning? Lord, would you have a word for us? Would you speak to us? And uh, Lord, would you allow us to leave here having heard from you and being impacted by you? So would you pray with me and, and then we'll, we'll go ahead and jump in. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that uh, you are alive and well in this place. Uh, Lord, it's a joy for us to be able to come together and to worship you in spirit and in truth and, and for you to meet us in this place. Lord, I think of the different um, places that we come to you this morning. Some have had an incredibly hard week. Others have had a joyful week. Um, some just right in the middle. And but Lord, we know this, you meet us right where we're at, and we're grateful for that. Lord, you care about us, you know our names, you know everything about us, Lord. And Lord, we know that from your word that you desire to speak into the hearts of your people. And so Lord, even right now, we would ask you to do so. And so even would you just take a second right now, just yourself, and maybe this is even a first prayer for you, but would you just say to the Lord, Lord, I'm open this morning, Lord, would you speak to me? So go ahead, would you just have that kind of prayer with the Lord? Lord, we thank you that you are alive and well, and uh, Lord, now we ask that you would speak to us, and we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, I want to start off by asking you a, a question. Um, here it is. Can you think of a time in your life when you were lied to? Can you think of a time, sorry, not a real happy thought to start with, right? But can you, can you think of a time in your life when you weren't told the truth? A time when you were told one thing, but as the events kind of played out, the truth became known to you, and you realized that you had been lied to, and it was crushing to you. Maybe it was in a relationship, and you thought things were going down one, one road, and things were going well, and all seemed good and fine, and, and then you found out some news that was, it was crushed, it was devastating to you. You'd been lied to. Or maybe it was in the area of your finances, and and you trusted someone to give you advice, but they had ill motive in mind, and, and you ended up in a poor place. And that trust was broken. You were, you were lied to. You didn't know the truth. It affected your decisions. Potentially, the, maybe the hardest area to be lied to is from your own children. Maybe one of your own children said something to you that it just wasn't true. And when the truth finally came out, it it was hard because it broke trust. It broke trust in a relationship that meant so much to you and still means so much to you. And the hurt was deep. Maybe for you, you'd say it was a friend. Something maybe happened at school or just a long-time friend. And, and you thought, wow, I can't believe this is happening. How, how could you, of all people, how could you tell me a lie? We all know what it feels like, don't we, to be, to be lied to. On the flip side, if you've ever confessed a lie, you know going into that time of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell the truth. You know the magnitude of what a lie can do because you felt it from the other side. You've got that perspective. 
When someone lies to you, it's no small deal. It's not something that, it's not something you just gloss over. It's not something that you say, oh, well, I'll move on. It's no big deal. No, lies are big. They have impact on you, and they have impact on you, and not only you, but other people, and they impact your decisions. You make decisions based on what you're told, and when you know the truth, you make good decisions, but when you're lied to, you don't, you don't know what to do. You're led astray. You may have done things differently if you'd known the truth. You may even, you would say, have looked at your future completely differently if you would have just known the truth. Lies are destructive. They cause us to have some big issues in our lives. Lies from people are a big deal. But there is a source of lies that has impact that is even greater than any person could possibly give us. And we're going to see this morning that the lies of Satan are very real And they can become some very significant roadblocks in our walks with God. They can become some some huge roadblocks very practically in our daily lives. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we get this picture of Satan that helps us understand the reality of his influence in our lives. It says this in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be alert and be of sober mind. And then here's the picture. It says that your enemy, the devil, what does he do? He, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I don't know about you, but I, I love watching those nature channels where you get to watch the hunt. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those, those shows where you get to kind of be in the, the, the eyes of the predator, you know, and, and you, you get to, to kind of watch this large animal chase down this little animal. It's sort of weird that I like that, but it, it do. It's fun to watch. But think about this for a second. That's really fun to watch, but think about how sobering it is that in the spiritual realm, there's an enemy that actually knows your weaknesses. There's an enemy that knows your vulnerabilities. There's an enemy that knows you so well that he knows where you're strong, and he'd like you to believe that you're not actually strong or gifted in that area because he'd like to sideline you. There's an enemy that is very real. He knows who you are. He knows your life. He knows about you. And he would love to distract you. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the reality of Satan and and how though Satan is very real and that there are a lot of lies that he would love for us to believe to sideline us, we're going to see that we can stand strong in his midst. Our main point this morning is this. If you're taking notes, jot this down and we'll flesh this out as we go. Now this is very foundational, but it's very effective. Here it is. We can defeat lies by actively clinging to truth. You can defeat the lies of Satan by actively clinging to truth. Here's where we're going. We're going to look at six verses, just six verses in John chapter 8. And we're going to see in this passage that Jesus is going to talk about the reality of Satan and how it impacts each and every one of us. You know, I thought about prepping for this message and I thought, wow, that's going to be a real downer week, studying about Satan all week, you know, good luck. But you know what? I actually got really excited about this message because the more I thought about the lies that Satan would love to speak into you and he would love to speak into me, the more I thought about the potential when we understand the truth, the more I thought about the fact that there's freedom, the more that I thought about how, wow, if we just understood, wow, that's a lie from Satan, but this is the truth, I thought about the fact that, wow, we could be liberated from some things that maybe hold us in bondage. We could, wow, we could... Maybe people that have given up on God's best for their lives could go, you know what, I'm not going to give up on that. That was, that was a lie from Satan himself. That's, that's not where I'm headed. No, this is the truth. 
I think of words like frustrating and derailing and destructive when I think of the times when we're led astray by a common lie. Yet there can be these kind of words that describe us, freedom, confidence, reassurance, peace, joy. Those are the things that come to mind when we actively walk in the truth. And that's exactly where we're going to aim this morning. So first, I want to give you the context of this passage in John chapter 8, these six verses, because when we understand the context, we can really understand what Jesus was getting at And then after we look at the context, what we're going to do is this. We're going to zero in on the crux of who Jesus said that Satan is, how he described him. So first, I want you to picture this. Jesus, here's the context. Jesus is having this conversation with these Jewish leaders. And it's one of those conversations that you could say, um, at the least, it was a, a bit intense. You ever been out in public? Maybe you're at a store somewhere and and you notice that there are two people having a, a, a major conflict. Ever, it's sort of awkward, isn't it? I mean, you can just tell they're in a fight. It, it's an awkward moment. The discussion that Jesus is having with these Jewish leaders is so intense that these guys that he was talking to, they were actually plotting to secretly kill him. But as a result of this conversation, these guys aren't about the secret plot anymore. Instead, they find themselves, we read later in the text, they find themselves picking up stones, immediately wanting to kill him right there on the spot. You talk about intense. This was a passionate conversation. Starting back in in verse 37, things begin to escalate. And this is the gist of the confrontation. These Jewish leaders that Jesus was talking to, they took great pride in the fact that they were Jewish, that their heritage was Judaism. And they proudly saw Abraham as their spiritual father, and they took a lot of stock in that, a lot of stock. Yet when Jesus comes along, instead of believing in him, these Jewish leaders, they rejected him. Verse 37, Jesus says, you have no room for my words. You don't believe me. You don't care who I am. And as a result, Jesus says to them, and this would have been so offensive, he says to them, you really aren't even tied to Abraham practically. If you were Abraham's children, you would do the things that Abraham did. And what did Abraham do? Abraham worshiped God. And God, the DNA of God, the deity of God, Jesus is saying, is me. In a nutshell, Jesus is telling them, and these were fighting words to them. I mean, there would have been red faces and clenched fists as he spoke. Jesus was saying to them, you reject me? What you're really rejecting is your Jewish heritage. You're really rejecting your tie to Abraham. You foolish men, you keep trying to kill the one who Abraham promised would come. That's me, he's saying. But most importantly this morning, in the midst of this intense dialogue, we're going to see this snapshot of who Jesus says Satan is. It nails him right to the core. It's the crux of who Satan is. Look with me at verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Now, in in other words, Jesus is saying, "Why, Why don't you believe me? Why don't you believe who I am? Why don't you believe that I'm the one that was prophesied about in the scriptures that you claim to love? He goes on. Because you are unable to hear what I say, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. And now for the second part of verse 44. And this is where we get this picture of Satan, the crux of the matter this morning. He, Jesus speaking of Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. 
for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason that you do not hear, the reason that, the reason that you don't accept me is that you do not belong to God. Now Jesus is making it very clear. Hey, fellas, we're not on the same page here. You want to murder me, and the reason why you want to murder me is because you don't know God. And because you don't know God, you don't know truth. And your association isn't with God, actually. He's saying your association is with Satan himself. He's fighting words to them. And in the midst of the context of this conversation, right in the middle of it, we see Jesus describe Satan. Look with me back at verse 44. I'm going to work through this one. Verse 44, it says that he was a murderer, Satan, from the beginning. Now, flip in your Bible to, if you've got one, or we'll put it on the screen, to Genesis chapter 3. Let's go back to the very beginning. This is the Garden of Eden. It's, it's perfect. Now, here, here's what Jesus is talking about when he says he was a murderer from the very beginning. Chapter 3, verse 1. It says, he, Satan, said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? So he's questioning, questioning God. And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say... You must not eat from the fruit, uh, uh, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And then here's the lie from Satan. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, and, and you're going to know good and evil. Now, when Jesus says in verse 44 that Satan is a murderer from the beginning, he's referring to this very event. Because of this original sin and the choice that was made, the choice that followed, there was a spiritual death that took place that day in the garden. Sin entered the picture right from, the, right from that place, and from that place and from that time on, it has marked each and every single one of us. This is why you never hear a, a parent, you never have a parent, you know, uh, get down on a, a child's level and, and just say to their kid, now, now little Billy, I, I've taught you a lot about being kind, but today I'm going to teach you how to be angry, okay? And so, Billy, here's what I want you to do. You know we're going to Target, and so when we get to Target, um, we'll go through the thing and it'll be fine, but when we get to the checkout aisle, and I'll wait till there's a lot of people there, when we get to the checkout aisle, I want you to ask for candy, and I'll say no, like I always do, but instead of being kind and going, Oh, okay, Dad, I want you to lay down on the ground, and I want you to kick your legs, and I want you to flail your arms, and I want you to scream and shout until everybody in Target is looking at us, right? Now, now we don't have to have that conversation, do we? No, it just happens, doesn't it? Unfortunately, right? Because of this lie, Genesis chapter 3 and the choice that followed we don't need to have those conversations. It just happens. Jesus calls Satan a murderer from when? He says, you're a murderer from the very beginning. And it's marked mankind's sense. But Satan simply isn't a murderer. He's a liar. Look at me at the rest of verse 44. He goes on. He says, he, Satan, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. 
Now think about your own life for a second. What do you do with the person in your life who continually does not tell the truth? I mean, you stay away from them. I mean, you don't trust them. I mean, you don't like say, hey, would you like to be business partners? You don't have those kinds of conversations because they're dangerous. They can't be trusted. You avoid them. Jesus goes on. He says, when he, when Satan lies, what does he do? He speaks his native language. Now think about this for a second. This is big. The native language of Satan is lies. Now when you speak your native language, it comes easily for you, doesn't it? I mean, it just, it just flows from you. On the flip side, though, when you learn a new language, it's hard work. It's really hard work. I, I remember um, studying Spanish in, in high school, and, and I took four years of Spanish because I knew if I took four years of Spanish in high school, I, at that time, I didn't have to take any in college. And so I, I took the last year, though, and I knew I would be in trouble the whole year because year three was hard. And I was in way over my head by the time I got to year four. And in year four, you couldn't speak any English in the classroom. And so there were often times when I would raise my hand, and, and my Spanish name was Pablo, very, um, very unique. I don't know why I chose that. But my Spanish name was Pablo, and I remember raising my hand, and this teacher, she was, she was spunky. She had been around for lots of years. She was maybe five foot, and I'll tell you what, though, she could bring the personality. And uh, I remember raising my hand... And, and saying to her, kind of giving her my sad story about why I didn't have a clue what we were supposed to be doing. And everyone else is working and I'm, I'm not. I wish I was, but I wasn't understanding. And so I would raise my hand and, and, and I would say, and I'd try to start to speak English. And she would say, oh, pobrecito Pablo, which means poor little thing. Or means, what does it mean? It means, see, <laughs> see, what does it mean? It means poor thing, not little. Yeah, poor thing, Pablo. See, now you know. How's my Spanish? It's horrible, right? <laughs> but here's the deal. She had no compassion, absolutely none. But what I learned from that experience was this. Your native language, it comes easy. But learning another language, you know this. It is, it is hard. The native tongue of Satan, the, the words that he naturally speaks into your life, the words that just flow very easily, not a problem. He doesn't have to learn them. They just come out. It's the voice of lies. We should take warning to that. We really should. Jesus goes even further in his description. This says, for he, Satan, is a liar and he is the father of lies, meaning he's the originator. He's the one who's ultimately behind all falsehood. I asked some people this week, I, I asked the following question to several people. I said, when you think about the lies that Satan would love for you to believe, what comes to mind right away? Like, what are... What are the first lies that maybe he would speak into your life or into someone else you know? These are some of their top responses. Satan would love for me to believe that I'm alone. Satan would love for me to believe that I'm worthless and that I can't be loved. These are, these are heavy. Satan would love for me to believe that my prayers aren't important enough for God. He's not interested in my little life. Another person said, Satan would love for me to believe that in my that it is in my best interest to just look out for me, to live selfishly, to not even think about eternity, but just to live for the here and now, just to get mine. Another lie that someone said, you don't need God, all you need is to believe in yourself. I've heard that before. I asked my kids this question. The very first thing they said, I said, well, what would Satan love for you guys to believe? And one of them said, that God doesn't really love us. 
It's not just little kids that think that, though. The next one, someone said, Satan would love for me to believe that there is no real consequences for what I'm doing. My actions don't hurt anyone except for me. The next one, someone, people tragically believe this one, I think, all too often. God doesn't have a purpose. God doesn't have a meaningful purpose for my life. It's just a life that I'm living. It's no big deal. Another one, I am the only one who struggles with this, and it can't be beaten. You ever felt that way? Many people feel that way. You've got something that you just, you struggle with it, and it, it burdens you, breaks you, and you think, I'm all alone in this. It's a lie. You ever felt this way? Um, you are who you are, another lie. You haven't changed, and you never will. The struggles of your parents will always be yours as well. It's huge. Last one, someone said, Satan would love for me to believe that good Christians just suck it up. Because if you're struggling, there must be something wrong with you. Or there must be something wrong with your faith. Do you see how destructive the lies of Satan can be? Do you see how derailing they are? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 gives us this picture. It says, for Satan himself, what does he do? He masquerades around as an angel of light. Meaning he's, he's deceptive, he's tricky. He would like for you to be obsessed with him, actually. He would like for you to be obsessed with him and to actually focus little on God. Or he would like you to think absolutely nothing of him and simply buy into his schemes. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, as he talked about Satan, he said he's a thief. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, there's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. But do you know how you can have victory over lies? You've heard this saying before, and especially around kind of sports seasons times, the best defense is what? It's a good offense, yeah. I mean, that's definitely true when we think about the lies of Satan in our, in our lives. Our focus, don't miss this, our focus should not be on Satan. We should not be obsessed with Satan. We shouldn't at every corner go, Satan did that, oh, Satan did that. I bet Satan stole my parking lot spot. We shouldn't be like that. We shouldn't be obsessed with Satan like that. But here's the thing. What we should be very focused on is Jesus Christ and the power of Jesus Christ and the truth of Jesus Christ. There is victory to be won by focusing on the truth and the source of truth. I want you to leave here this morning and I... I want you to have three different things in mind that, that, that you can use. You can, you've got these at your access, things that you can cling to as you seek out truth. Here they are, three ways to cling to truth. Number one, prayer. Number two, God's people. And number three, God's word. First, think about what happens when you pray. I mean, and maybe you're new to, to, to relationship with Christ, and prayer is just simply, it's a, it's a conversation with God, but but think about what happens when you pray. I mean, what you're doing is this. You're, you're taking a time out from the busyness of life and you're saying, I'm just going to focus on you, God, for a second. Here's what, here's what happens. Um, this is amazing. What, it, it says in Psalm 145, it says, The Lord is he's near to all who call on him. In James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Resist the devil. I love this. Resist the devil. And what will he do? It says, He will flee from you. But how, how do you resist the devil? He says it right in this next verse. He says, come near to God.
Come near to God and what will he do? He will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I mean, think about this. If you're in a battle, who's on your team is a big deal, right? And the Lord is saying, hey, in prayer, you can come to me. Draw near to me. I won't leave you hanging. I'll be with you. Draw near to God and and he will draw near to you. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, pray continually. Meaning this, that there's like this spirit about us that when we go through a day and a week that that we're, we're talking to the Lord, we're, we're seeking him, we're, we're praying. Remember that God is a personal God. You can take time out and seek him, and when you do, he responds. He is not far away from you. He knows you. He knows your life. Secondly, how do we defeat the lies of Satan by clinging to truth? God's people. We can't underestimate this one. We talk up Brookside a lot about about not doing life alone. And so we talk about the importance of being in a small group. And the reason why we think that that's important is because when you're in a group of people who know God, what happens is they have opportunities sometimes to speak into your life. I'll tell you this, Christine and I have a a, a better marriage. I would say that I'm a better dad, that she's a better mom, because we have people in our lives that have spoken truth into us. That's That's the power of God's people. Third, you can defeat lies by clinging to the truth that comes from God's word. I mean, think about this. You're, you're sitting there, you're contemplating doing something, and, and you're, just, you're just going through and you're doing your, the daily thing you do. You're getting filled up reading God's word, and all of a sudden, you're thinking about the plan that you've got in your mind. And you read something in the scriptures, and all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, oh, that's the truth, right? Oh, bag my plan, right? And you're thinking, I'm going to go a different direction. I was going for a run the other day, and, and I, I do this on some Mondays with my son, Easton. He's three years old, and, and usually when we go on this, this run, he's, he's pretty chill, and we put, I put him in this jogging stroller, and, and it's kind of a time for me just to kind of exercise and kind of just get away from stuff a little bit, and he's usually really quiet, so it's not a big deal, but last Monday, he was really talkative, like really talkative, and, and so I'm pushing him along, and, and he kept asking me question after question after question, and I was out of breath, and so I really didn't want to talk to him and answer his questions, and, and he kept asking the same question, too, and I gave him the answer, and I, I gave him the answer again, he kept asking the same question, and, and then the traffic was kind of loud, so I couldn't hear him, and so he's getting frustrated, and he keeps lurching around, looking for me, and he's like, Dad, Dad, you know, and, and finally I just said to him, I said, Easton, I said, do you see any animals? And I said, just look for a rabbit, will you? And, and we just, we kept running, I was just trying to distract him, just trying to get the lips closed just a little bit, you know, and so we get going, and now I'm, he's, he's silent now for like five minutes, and I'm feeling bad, you know, and, and so, so I stopped, and I said, I said, I said buddy, you doing okay? I just got some water, and he said, yeah, he said, dad, but dad, you won't let us talk anymore, and I was like, oh, great, there goes dad of the year award again, you know, and, <laughs> right, but think about this for a second, I was thinking, okay, that's me, I'm earthly father, but think about this for a second, you have a heavenly father that never cuts off communication with you. You have a heavenly father that never says, you know what, I'm, I'm actually frustrated by the questions you keep asking me. You have, a, you have a heavenly father who says, I want to hear from you. You have a heavenly father that says, look, I gave you this book. I want to speak to you every day, and so would you open it up? I want you to know me. That's, that's huge. I always want to speak to you, God would say. You know, when I think about the lies that we mentioned here this morning that Satan would love for us to believe I think about the power, though, of the truth of God's word. I mean, you take some of these lies. I mean, just, just let me give you two examples. Here's a common lie. I'm not worthy of God's love. I'm a failure in the same category. I, 
I've gone the wrong direction. I've got some shame with that. I don't feel like I can turn around. I don't think God's interested in me anymore. I can't be forgiven. Now, you couple that with some truth. Psalm 33, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him and those who hope is in him, in his unfailing love. Psalm 103, verse 12, imagine if you're thinking that lie and then you come across this. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. There's a lie, but there's the truth. It's huge. Another common lie. My life will never have any impact. There's so many people that believe that. So many people that go through life and they would say, I once had a dream for my life. I felt like God had gifted me in this area. I felt like I was going to use my life to bring much glory and much honor to God, but I've kind of given up on that. And now all I think about are the insecurities that I have, and and they keep me away, and I'm always reminded of those, but I've kind of given up on what I feel like God had for me. I'll never overcome that. Now imagine thinking that, but then reading through the book of Philippians, you get to chapter 4, verse 13, and it says this, the apostle Paul knowing that he's taking his strength in God, and he says, I can do all things, not through myself, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And imagine yourself, you've got to lie, but boy, truth, power of truth. I want to close by talking about what I think is potentially the greatest and the most life-impacting lie that Satan would love for you to latch on to. It's a lie about Jesus Christ himself. You might be here this morning and you would say, you know what, I'm, I'm seeking out spiritual truth. I want to know who Jesus is. I, I've, I hear you talk about a relationship with him. I want to know what that looks like. This is a very common lie that you're going to run into. It's a lie that you'll hear a lot in spiritual uh, religious circles as well, particularly. It's this lie, and I, I believed this lie for a number of years, and I, I shudder to think what life would be like if I had kept believing this lie, if truth had not been brought into the picture, just for me personally. I believe the lie that God was really in heaven and he was some sort of mildly angry accountant, you could say. That God was in heaven and he was kind of going, okay, I got scales up here and I'm, I'm going to keep good track of those and I'm, I'm, I've got a kind of an angry tone to myself and I'm watching Jeff. And oh, I saw that he did one thing bad, boom. Oh, but I saw he did something good, good. And I remember living with this lie, and I was under the impression that, okay, if I can just earn my way to God, then I will be good. If the good cannot weigh the bad, then at the end of the day, I'll be good. You know what? That's a lie. It's a lie. And what that lie did was this. That lie left me pretty frustrated because I never felt like I had enough good to outweigh the bad. And I would, I would try to do silly things. I would try. I would, I would say, oh, wow, the rest of the dorm floor is still sleeping. I'm going to get up early, go to church, and you know what? That's going to help my scale today. And I thought that it was all about earning. But then one day a friend of mine said, you know what, you've got that wrong. I want to bring some truth into you. And he shared this with me. This is true, straight from God's word. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. It says that he, Jesus Christ, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but it says because of his mercy. Now get that. I mean, that's, a very, that's liberating. When you live with the lie that you can earn your way to God and into heaven and all of that, and then you realize, no, 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 he saved us not because of the righteous things I have done, but because of his mercy, I tell you what, that, that was freeing for me. And I went, okay, wow, okay, so it's not about me, it's, a, it's about God and in his mercy. And I just want to encourage you this morning, maybe you're a person that you would say, you know what, I'm like those Jewish leaders, and those Jewish leaders, they took a lot of stock in their heritage. Uh, they believed that they were good with God because in the past their ancestors were good with God. And so they took a lot of stock in that. 
And I just want to encourage you this morning, believe the truth. Believe the truth about who Jesus Christ is. Believe the truth about who you are in Christ. If you would say, you know what, I've believed lives that have, lives that have sidelined me, I would ask you this morning, would you reconsider and would you say, wow, actually I think that wasn't from the Lord, that was from Satan. And I'm going to dig into God's word, I'm going to surround myself with God's people, I'm going to go to the Lord privately in prayer and I'm just going to say, Lord, I want truth in this matter. And I assure you, when you find truth, the scripture says that the truth will set you free. You can defeat the lies of Satan by clinging to truth. So let's do this this morning. Let me pray for us and and then we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the power of the truth of it. And um, Lord, we cling to it today. Lord, I pray for those who might have believed a lie about how they could know you. And I pray, Lord, that today they would extend themselves to your mercy. They would fall at your feet and they would say, God, you are a God of mercy. So, Lord, we love you. And we pray, Lord, that you would lead us this week. We pray, Lord, that we would tune into you. We would tune into the voice of truth, Lord. Lord, thank you that you love your people. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.